Welcome to At the Point of a Knife. I'm your host, Eric Navaretti. Each episode, I'll sit down with the writers, producers, directors behind the modern era of horror and explore their inspirations, setbacks, and what it really takes to make your favorite films. Today, I interview Michael Rousselet, Tom Jacobson, and John Salmon. They're key members of the long-running and beloved internet comedy series, Five Second Films. And most recently, they shared directing duties, co-starred, and were part of the team of writers behind the feature film, Dude Bro Party Massacre 3. An outrageous, over-the-top horror comedy that's a send-up of the 80s sequel craze. Let's listen to a quick taste. In part one, she got revenge. In part two, she decided to have more revenge. This summer, Motherface returns for the final chapter. I'm here to find out who murdered my brother. So brutal. So twisted. So... So... You've ruined my life! So offensive, it was banned in 18 states and never released. studio today. I have John Salmon, Tom Jacobson, Michael Rousselet, hey. and they are the filmmakers behind Dude Bro Party Massacre 3. Yeah, Dude Bro Party Massacre 3. And also uh, behind some of the stuff in 5 Second Films. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of stuff in 5 Second Films. We're only a part of just a little bit. We're behind some of it. Yeah, out of 50, out of 1,500 of films, I think we only did like, oh, like 13. <laughs> 1,400. <laughs> <laughs> just a couple of them. Just a few here. Just a few. So I'm curious, how did this partnership get started? Where'd you guys all meet? John Salmon and I met at USC in cinema school, and that's where we, we were friends with Brian Ferenzi, who is the creator of Five Second Films. He started Five Second Films in college. He wanted to see if he could tell a joke in five seconds, and I met him in a writing class. And when he told me what he did over the summer, I thought that was ridiculous. What can you do in five seconds? Mm. And I saw some of the videos and I was like, this is it. This I will never leave this man alone. We will make five second films until the day I die. And where did you hop in? Uh, I was actually, I was good friends with Brian in college and I was kind of there when he was starting to do, uh, it was the Ed Wood Film Festival, which was like a 24 hour film festival. Okay. And he first tried out the concept that I was aware of. Uh, and then I was, wound up moving in with the guy. Uh, and when he started up the website, I was living with him. So so yeah, just kind of from there it took off and became my whole life. Yeah, I came in later because the first couple months the guys would all wear wigs and dress up like women, very Monty Python. Mm -hmm. We weren't even filming, we would yeah. just do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then they met some girls that were down to come film and then I knew Olivia and she brought me onto the crew. Yeah. I had an HD camera, they were still shooting on XL2 
And, and I was yeah. like, look at this 7D. You can <laughs> shoot on this. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. And Tom was a very know. funny guy. Funny, and I know how to set a C-stand. Yes, that was a big deal. Yeah. Like setting a C-stand. Yeah. From setting a C-stand to directing. There's enough actors in five-second yeah. films. They needed grunts. It seems like it would be one of those organizations where like everybody has to wear three or four or five different hats, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, in a given course of a Sunday, you know, if you pitch a 5SF, you might be directing it, and you might be acting in the next one, and then you might operate the boom, and then you might be handing the camera. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes Sometimes Bruce Lee will cook breakfast and then pitch jokes and set yeah. D stands and like and then I would go and like make props and yeah and then like go spray paint something yeah and act in that film. we we had we turned the house so we lived in this house in Silver Lake and we turned it into an, our own production studio so we slowly started accumulating more equipment and gear um, Eric Sandoval used to work at a grip house like a lighting and production house and they would throw stuff away like broken equipment and and gear that wasn't working properly. And there, and by not working properly, he means like missing one screw. Yeah, it worked fine. Oh yeah, you just couldn't like hang it from the rafters above yeah. a million dollar actor's head. Or a green screen. It worked fine. There was a green screen that they were gonna throw away because it had a coffee stain in the corner. And this is a huge twenty like, foot by twenty foot. Huge. And they were gonna get rid of it. And Eric's like, can I take it? I'm like, yeah, sure, take it. Yeah. So we would just build a studio, and we kept slowly amassing gear. And we used to light the green screen with like work lights from Home Depot. Home Depot it was yeah. awful. Mm -hmm. And uh, we everyone first uh, lighting kit. Yeah, exactly. It's a good way to learn. But, the most difficult tool. And we just kept getting props and costumes and wigs and people would just say, hey, I'm getting rid of this junk. Do you want it? I'm like, sure. I'll take a bear costume. You yeah, know? Any, anybody, <laughs> any friend that shot a short film was like, hey, I have 10 monster hands. Do you want monster hands? Yes, yes we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> so we built a whole production company in our house and that's where we shot and filmed all the five second films from 2008 to the feature film, which was it? Even the ones that look like they take place at the beach, at the house. Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. really good at art department. Yeah, we're really good. <laughs> I'm just trying to understand this because you guys Don't. release <laughs> content like every weekday. Yeah, every, every Monday through Friday. How do you schedule that? How do you come up with ideas for that? I mean, generating that much content. You know, kind of a dibs process. At first, at best, it, at best, it was a dibs process where it's just like it's like I call dibs. You shoot a film on, on Sunday, you shoot five, and then someone's just like, "All right, I'll edit." Yeah, you know, Michael Russo like killing himself. I would know. also put it this way: we were all when we started Five Second Films, we were all fresh film school graduates with nothing to do. Like, yeah. we were all uh, fairly unemployed, and we had a lot of time. Fairly. So I feel like <laughs> fairly, like reasonably unemployed. Yeah, uh, and then I, to me, it was like raising. I'm going to use a Wes Anderson analogy. It was like raising a baby cheetah. You know, so initially we all had time and we could feed it all we wanted to, and then it started kind of running on its own, and we just had to try to keep up with it. Yeah, that's really good. I like that. Uh, we, we thought we ran out of ideas in year three, and we kept going, and then by year five, we're like, uh, I think we still got this, and then year six, we're like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. When was dumpster week? Dumpster. <laughs> We got a dumpster because our house accumulated so much crap and junk and and we really had to get rid of all this stuff. Old flats that have been painted oh. over like 10 times. So we convinced everyone like we should pay money out of the company to rent a giant dumpster and so we could throw this stuff away and clean up the house. And we said, screw it, we have a week. 
with this mm -hmm. dumpster. Let's shoot a whole week of five second films with a dumpster. I will say <laughs> that, that that resourcefulness is like elemental in yeah. the DNA yeah. of Dude Bro Party Massacre 3, not to jump topics yet, but like the fact that when we needed a forest, these guys thought ahead, you and Joey oh, thought yeah. ahead, to go out on uh, the day after Christmas and get every Christmas tree that was put out on the curb mm -hmm. by the neighbors. So we just had a giant pile of trees yeah. that we could create a forest out of. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was how do you hard. make trash They're evergreens. They yeah. stayed green for a long time. Yeah, especially mm -hmm. when we spray painted and send them green. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we had this whole forest in the backyard because some of our actors couldn't uh, come with us to Big Bear where we shot um, a part of the, the feature film. So we had to be savvy and figure out how we could cheat all this in the comfort of our house in Silver Lake. <laughs> comfort. <laughs> <laughs> What was it about Dubro Party Massacre, right? I know that you had already you'd already done some sketches with with Motherface, right? Before that, mm -hmm. we, she wasn't called that, film. but yeah, yeah. We, we it started off as a five second film. <laughs> you and Eric or Worley? No, uh, no, it was Worley, Worley, and I think Eric Sandoval at a, at a screening of was a Slumber's Party. Party Massacre three. Yeah, and they walked yeah. out. They thought it would be funny to do a five second film where we they flipped the the gender roles where. Instead of women being a, a you know the victim, yeah, right. nubile victim, mm -hmm. and they exploited it was men, and, mm -hmm. yeah. and the killer. I think they it. shot it like that night or the night after. Yeah, I too. came home yeah. and they were yeah. like, "Recently put on this ripped up shirt. We're gonna spray it with a hose in the yard and <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> run through this mist." Yeah, I ran through. A, I was like, "What do we do? Okay, let's do it. Sure." Yeah, I was like, "It's funny." A management company was interested in us to do longer stuff, but they didn't think we could do longer stuff because like you only do five Fools. seconds. Fools, fools. <laughs> so they asked, uh, uh, "Can you do some?" longer sketches so we thought of doing a joke trailer and we expanded Dubro Party Mask okay. into a joke trailer with no intention of ever doing it as a feature and then all the fans watched it and then we read the comments and they said can you make this into a real feature yeah I remember the night that we were like we we were all sort of floating the idea of like what if we did make a movie and I remember I remember who spoke up at that point but like somebody was like what if we made Dupro into I think an it was actual Joey. film I think it was Joey I had been talking about was, it with Mike James for a little bit beforehand yeah. and Paul and yeah Paul. I think everybody kind of bounced around the idea and then that mm -hmm. night it made it sense made all of us laugh because uh, the, the group is you know just three girls and the rest are bros and dudes. <laughs> We're like, well, we can do a frat film and we can have all the dudes, so everyone will have a role. And it's totally ridiculous. We can be outrageous because it's a it's the third part of a trilogy, and we all have a fondness for bad cinema. <laughs> not, yeah, all. not all. Not all. <laughs> not all. <laughs> People in this room do, yes, but there are some that there's some of the group that were like. <laughs> Don't bad movies are bad movies. Yeah, right. Get over it. I was like, yeah. come on, guys, it's a B film. And Michael Pierce like, every time you say it's a B film, I'm gonna pen penalize you a dollar. I was like, oh. <laughs> was it because of the fan response, like to the original trailer? Was it something just about? It was the first idea where, as a group, everybody came with jokes. Everyone's mind plates just like oh, were so cool. A horror film is uh, we're very cynical, kind of. Uh, dark humor, there's a lot of death in our jokes and violence, so it just felt right that a horror film would meet our comedic. I also think that specifically a B movie or C movie horror film, like, was a very apt thing for five second films to do because we're the guys who like we were scrappy. We repurpose trash and try to make it into costumes and stuff like that. So it just it just really belonged with the kind of stuff we already make. That would allow you know that we, we wouldn't have to act like we're something we're not. We don't shoot a romantic comedy with a guy and a girl when we're a twelve person group. And you know like mm. yeah, you know, it was something very fitting to us. If you watch five second films, at least once a week there was a death, like someone died. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, 
the easiest end to a joke. It's the perfect arc. You're alive, you're dead. Five seconds. We're done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's very clearly sending up, you know, the 80s slasher. Were there any conventions that you, like, explicitly wanted to tackle while shaping this thing? Oh, so many. I mean, uh, definitely the the recapping of the first two that they do in horror movies in the 80s where they're just like, someone's telling the story of, like, Jason in Friday the 13th Part 4 or... Uh, they kind of mention it in Sleepaway Camp 2, the events of Sleepaway Camp 1, mm-hmm. and then that recapping we just thought we could have some have a lot of fun with. I think my favorite is Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. Oh, oh that whole movie's yeah. a recap. Yeah. Like 60 minutes of it. It's, it's just footage from the first one. Oh, I love that. It's uh, so bad. <laughs> the main one was we wanted to flip the whole gender roles over about where men are being objectified and women. Men make men nubile and, and objectified yeah. and stupid. I wanted yeah. to go further. <laughs> I wanted it to be way more homoerotic, but got to tame down quite a bit from, really the from where I originally wanted to take it. I really wanted it. Another convention was um, of bad writing. I've always heard that like good, <laughs> with good dialogue, characters don't just say what they want out loud, so our characters constantly say what they want out loud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, I love that the, the twin dynamic, because there's some horror films that just have like the doppelganger and right. the doubles and just like his identical twin brother yeah. and they're best friends and he just wants to be with his bro. Do you guys have a favorite kill scene in the movie? My favorite is the production designer Ian Ahern. He gets his throat slit in the beginning and it vomits so he's about to throw up in a toilet and gets his throat cut and right. he throws right. up while blood's coming out. It's just it was Joey's idea, right? I think so. It's yeah, so gross. I love it. I love your death. Oh, um, <laughs> explain to those who don't haven't seen it. How, uh, yeah. He plays the drunk character and gets a beer tap to his head. And yeah. Then, <laughs> yeah. Spoiler, spoiler alert. Sorry, guys. Characters die in this movie. Oh my yeah. god. If you like a character, in it, he's probably gonna die. It's I'm a podcast. Sorry. They don't know what they look like. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are the characters? Yeah. So that's. It was just one of the most fun to shoot, and I think that was in that was like writers' room day one. What's the most frat way that someone could die? It's like yeah. a yeah. keg to, a keg to the head. head. Yeah. Um, there's my favorite death is Patty's death, but I'm not willing to spoil that. No, for anybody. Yeah. And I want okay, this, that's my favorite this, death. But I want this. But I want this to be an entertaining podcast. I'll tell you about another death. There's a character named Samzy whose uh, huh. death happens out on a dock. We were kind of looking at like weird science and like really improbable robot tech that happened in the 80s. And so she shoots this like laser dart with a needle in it that goes into Samzy's head yeah. while he's standing on the dock and somehow right. mind controls him with a remote control. Yeah. And he starts punching she pulls himself. out of nowhere. She reaches she out off of nowhere. screen and then it just comes up. I love that so much. In, any, in a dramatic film. Yeah. Yeah. It happens quite a bit in Dubra. It's like so she, three times I can think of. She pushes a button and he starts beating himself up, she pushes another button, he shits his pants, <laughs> pushes another button, he rips his own tongue out, and then pushes another button, he slaps himself with it, and then finally just pushes him to his death. All while saying terrible puns. Oh yeah, she, yeah. Kiss, she kisses him and says, <laughs> what, no tongue? It's just so unlikely, but I think the audience is just on board enough, usually, at the screenings that, like, you're I like, think I most of the happen. deaths are super unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you guys write something like this? How many people, like, were involved in I think 12 was yeah. like the like the initial writer's room, just oh, like bouncing yeah, ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And then all 12 people put fingers to keyboards and wrote scenes the first pass. Yeah. We initially thought of the funniest death scenes. Like, what would be the funniest way and most unique way to kill someone in a horror film that we've never seen? And then from there, we went backwards. Like, okay, well, now how can we relate this to a person's character? And we're like, okay, well, let's make it about their fears. So how they died, we would work backwards. Like, someone's afraid of puppies, and someone's afraid of running out of beer, and someone's afraid of, you know, <laughs> <Meat>. my seed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we 
we worked back from, from there, we, we developed characters, we, we thought of a vague arc, and then we did a, a very vague outline and we broke up the scenes, we numbered the scenes, and then we just randomly handed out scene numbers. Which was deliberate, by the way. We recognize that's a terrible way to write a movie, too. Mm. For me to hand you, here's your scenes, and you go you're, off you're gonna and don't do talk scene to me. like 4, 12, and 37. Yeah. Uh, and the idea was, like, let's put this whole thing together and then look at if this is structurally funny. And in many instances, it was. Like, somebody would walk into a room three times in a row. Yeah. No reason, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. things <laughs> would repeat left and right. But we revised it endlessly because we realized that, like, structural jokes to most audiences don't land the same way that, like, a fart joke does. Yeah. You know? Which is weird. <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful analogy. Alec Owen was, uh, we assigned him as the head writer because it got to the point where we were just arguing about jokes. Mm -hmm. um, we had the structure and character down, and then it just got to the point of, like, what is the overall tone? because there were so many different voices involved that the tone of the movie was running away because it was just so all over the place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The movie's still all over the place, but it's more unified than we it would have been. We sculpted a little bit more. Yeah. And then just the writing process and the revisions process is going too slow. You have to remember that like, with 10 people in a room, it becomes a quorum and there's a yelling match. It's just like, well, I think it should be like this. And as soon as you're voting, then you're not going to get nuanced writing. You know what I mean? If you're all like, well, yeah. five of us said this. You know. But I think we did a great job of taking our time writing the film. Yes. It took us almost two years, yeah. really. We, wanted, we were planning to shoot yeah. the movie probably about 10 months before we actually shot it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and we would not have been ready because like in those 10 months, in those like 10 to 8 to 10 months, like it just got so much better. Yeah. Because we were just constantly, every week we were meeting yeah. two, three times and just talking and just like, Yelling, yelling and like yeah. hugging and like cheersing and high-fiving and laughing at jokes Yeah, and um, what I love is that a lot of slash movies what, what helped us I think is they have such a natural inherent structure It's like that Agatha Christie like countdown thing. Mm -hmm. There's ten people. There's nine people down to one and then here's your villain Here's your payoff. Yeah, ten right? Indians. Like, yeah. It was very Sorry. you know It's not like a dramatic film or a romantic film where you'd have to kind of figure it out with the what the beats are Like we had a thing in place and we could just kind of work within it. That was helpful Yeah, there's like an inherent sort of trajectory that the sort a movie has to go, go yes on. but I think the writing process was the most intensive because uh, we only get one we only get one shot at this so we mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that two years of writing we're like this is it this is our this is our joke <laughs> this mm -hmm. it was tough because you had to wait three years to see if the joke worked because <laughs> you shot it and you're like all right let's yep. see what happens. <laughs> I noticed when you know you're working on something and especially if you guys are having as many meetings as as you are you know you look at a thing so often you're so close to it that you lose track of like why was this funny in the first place right yeah that's where read-throughs are really helpful and then viewings when the film was complete I think is like you get so lost in it you're right you're like I know this joke too well the problem I found is like if we've heard a joke for the last 12 months we might revise it and overcomplicate it when it should be very simple you know what I mean and we have to go back and be like wait this was funny I remember when it was funny but often yeah if you have a read through and you invite people who have never heard it before and they laugh at the points that you laughed at two months ago then that's helpful and yeah. instructive you know I couldn't have done a drama as the first especially yeah. not so like micro like this because like we're editing and doing sound and like pulling all these long nights. Mm -hmm. We were with it every day. I'm glad we made a comedy. I think there's a reason a lot of first time directors start with horror. Yeah, yeah. Horror and comedy, I think. Just like. yeah. It also helped. Brian Frenzy was off site. He was in London. He was just getting scenes sent to him to edit. 
and he had the freshest eyes, so he was just getting stuff. He's like, oh my god, this is funny. Also, he cheated. He said he just picked like the waveform, the wave file. So it spiders laughs. There's yeah, a pretty exactly. classic <laughs> editing yeah. technique in five second films. So he would like just look at the takes and just find the waveform where it peaked the most or the biggest laugh. Yeah. So are you guys like laughing while camera store rolls? No, well, no. We would it depends. Be, well, the yeah. thing is, like, every, everyone that is on the shoot is in 5SF, and we know, like, you gotta wait like five, ten seconds after they deliver their line, then you can laugh. Yeah. Okay. And it's usually, usually it was, I'm, I'm the worst. I laugh a lot. Yeah. So usually, like, I know, like, okay, we got the shot we need, and then I'll laugh, and everyone just is like, okay, recently fucked up the take, so we can all laugh. <laughs> Was there ever any doubt that you were going to do a comedy, though? I mean, oh, no, 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 no. But I'm, there was a doubt about, like, should it be horror? Should we do something else? And uh -huh. We knew it was going to be a comedy. We just didn't know what kind of comedy. Kind we, of we, yeah, we had to clarify the genre. To what extent is it a horror? And it was like, I always thought it was a comedy in the skin of a horror. You know yeah. what I mean? But it's essentially, like, its intention is to make you laugh. Mm -hmm. not, oh, yeah. Not to frighten you. So once you decided that you were going to make a film, I mean, like, what was... It was the always... The end, the end goal was always to make a film. How can we make a TV show? How can we make a feature? And we had eventually got meetings because of Five Second Films and our success on YouTube. We actually sent the Dubro script around. God, the first draft. Remember that? It was terrible. <laughs> Not the first draft. But like the first showable draft. <laughs> the first draft was crazy. We pants. sent it through Hollywood and people were like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> got some great compliments. Like, this is really funny. We're not going to make yeah, it, but this yeah. is really funny. Yeah, they're like, my assistant said he laughed. Uh, he said it was the funniest thing he's ever read since Airplane, but we're not going to do it. Like, <laughs> like, right, some, I remember some that. Some 45-year-old, 50-year-old dude's like, no, but my 25-year-old my assistant loves it, so I'm right. So around then, Kickstarter was becoming a big thing, mm -hmm. and we said, well, fuck it. Like, we have a decent amount of followers. Let's do it. Let's do a Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. Usually people kickstart, you know, 500 bucks to make my short or a yeah, thousand. We asked for 200,000. Did you we budgeted out we were going to hit that? We thought, yeah, we could hit that, uh, but we thought it would be easier than it actually was. It was a monkey knife fight the whole way. We actually, we wrote the script and then Michael Peter, our producer, budgeted. He's like, this is how much it would actually cost to do this. Mm -hmm. And we're like, we can't afford that. He's like, but if we cut corners, we could, I think we can ask for $200,000 and we could make that we could reach that goal and then we could make this yeah. feasibly, mm -hmm. which I don't even know how we would have been able to make it for $200,000 because no, we were, yeah. I mean, yeah, we would have made it. it we would have made have been done in as long, as quick as it was. Yeah. Kickstarter, a couple of our friends had had some really great successes. Yeah, um, Freddie Wong with VGHS. I've, I shot VGHS and he was a close friend. Okay. So. Yeah, Saturday morning breakfast yeah. cereal. Uh, yeah. They've done a bunch of successful Kickstarters. Mm -hmm. um, they gave us advice. They gave us advice, sat us down and mm -hmm. we're like, stop being jackasses. Quit Drink it so much. Get your lives together. Get out of here, mom. <laughs> what are you doing? Hey. We did a live streamathon, which has never been done before at the YouTube space. Huh, okay. uh, we did a live. Until then, it had never been done. Yeah, it's until then. Now it's been, it's been done a bunch of time. But we did a four-hour live streamathon. We had uh, musicians and you know uh, stand-up stand comedians. We yeah. did sketches. <laughs> we shot uh, fucking interstitial videos, and it was it was insane. It was insane, and we raised ten thousand dollars. That night, that and another ten thousand the next night. Because we, we uploaded uh, for our, you know European fans that in are, Australia, yeah, okay. people across the globe. We yeah. re-uploaded the four hour, and we and then the next morning we're like, oh my god, we raised ten thousand dollars more. Mm -hmm. So we raised twenty thousand dollars in less than forty eight hours. Yeah, one of the strangest things about Kickstarter is uh, a lot of it's about expectation. Like w weirdly, if if people think like 
that a Kickstarter is not going to make it. They'll start yeah. re removing their own funds. They'll start taking them away. Mm -hmm. And we got that twenty, that ten thousand, then twenty thousand at a crucial point where it was kind of like, will they or won't they? And then once we were past that little, that it was a perfectly timed actually, because once we were past that, everyone kind of looked at it like this one's gonna, they're gonna make it. Yeah, oh. it was like the confidence. Nobody wants to invest or money into something that's not in a sinking ship. Yeah, right. yeah. They're like, even though they're gonna get their money back if it doesn't reach the goal they still why would they want to bother to donate and then it's just going to come back I mean, yeah so it's, it's all about the illusion of confidence if you're doing a kickstarter it's like oh yeah we're going to totally do this yeah you know you guys should be a part of it that's true with any campaign actually yeah you you yeah. You, you sell the message that you always know you're going to win and like if you want to be cool you can hang out with us and join our campaign how did you guys manage that i mean a kickstarter campaign seems like it's a full-time job yes when it's that size and then you guys are still trying to make the movie at the same time uh, well, we're raising the funds at that point and writing the movie. Yeah, we, we wouldn't make the movie until another year. Okay. Yeah. 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 We wouldn't roll cameras until about another year later. Yeah. yeah. But we were all very devoted to it. it we were I mean, still we making were, five second films. Five second oh, films. Yeah, yeah we were still doing five a week. Um, I think a lot of divide and conquer was a big part of it. You yes. Know? There's a lot yeah. of us, and like everyone had their kind of specialties. So, like Tim Ciancio, uh, one of five and a half members, um, Headed up the stream at all. Headed up a lot of the YouTube stuff and a lot of the live streaming. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's, he's, a, he's yeah. a technical director for an app for E. Yes. Universal. So it was like his bag. He's like, I can do live stuff. I know how. I can yeah. wire it up. My, like, I'll be the one that's breaking this baby. Yeah. The YouTube so like, we don't know how to do this. And Tim's like, I got this. Yeah. You know, they're like, oh my God. <laughs> like, he also knows Photoshop and so do I. So I did a lot of graphics and mm -hmm. he did a lot of uploading and like making like the stretch goals and making it look kind of fun and interesting. Yeah. And yeah, then so like Michael Peter managed the E. Emails and like kind of the back, back the backer side, like talking to people. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, he yeah. was in charge of like videos and keeping people. I don't know what I did. Social media. I blacked out. Po posting on Facebook. You need someone to like post on Facebook like 40 times a day. Yeah. You wouldn't think that would work. You think that would just turn people off, but like. Being obnoxious, you can't be like indie about it and trying to be too cool. Like, well, yeah, you gotta be cool. If you you gotta be you gotta, personable yeah. about it. You can't just yeah. like spam your friends. You gotta, right. yeah. You gotta massage a little bit. Like, hey, how you doing? What you up to? You're really good, good at massaging. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like five second films in general, where everybody's everybody, blowing away. Everybody wore a hat or something. Well, yeah. we were all passionate about the project, and we're like, if we don't raise the money, then we're not gonna make this movie, and who knows if we ever will? Like, this is our one time. Because mm -hmm. if we, I, God, I don't even know if we didn't make the money. What would we have done? I mean, Tail Between Our Legs come back and that's for less money? I don't know. Would have been... Was Patton involved at that point or any of the other? God bless Patton, we call him the godfather of five second films. We got to work with him through Twitter because he tweeted out a bunch of five second films. Mm -hmm. We were freaking out because he's a comedic genius and, a, and an idol of ours. And we tweeted back, do you want to be in some five second films? He said, absolutely. So we worked with him mm -hmm. and he was one of the first donors for a Kickstarter. He donated the amount of money required to be a co-producer, mm -hmm. yeah. co-producer. And uh, you get to be, you get to <laughs> you get a part of the, the movie. You get to have yeah. a part of the movie. And that was like reserved for people like, Hey, you can be in the background, be right. an extra. Mm -hmm. And and we're like, Oh my God, Patton. Ugh. So we gave him a major speaking. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. We were like, Hey man, I want you to know, thanks for the donation. I want you to know that you, you now legally we have to put you in the movie, so you got to be in our film. He goes, yeah, you fucking better put me in your movie. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. Yeah. Was that like yeah. a talking point, or was that actually not? we never used it as? Yeah, a we movie. never really kind of used him to our. 
Dang shit, we probably should have. Well, we probably should have, like, saying, like, Patton Oswalt is starring Patton during, Oswalt during the Kickstarter. Is that what you were asking? Yeah, that's it. I, yeah. I don't know if he was committed at that point. I don't know if we could have legally yeah. said. Yeah. It was a very, you know, if he has time, you know, if he has a day, you can say. That's literally what we had with him was a day. That's as much as you can get with Patton Ooh. to shoot with him. So there was no surety that we were going to have him in the film. We were trying to get all the all of our celebrity cameos to see if that were in five-second films to see if they would come. Uh, yeah, we reached out to a bunch of but scheduling was crazy. Plenty, though. We got Larry King. We oh, my God. That came out of nowhere. That's my favorite one. Flip. Just every time somebody's watching that film and they see, like, the coach get killed and they go, was that Larry King? Makes me so happy. It's, the most it's like, why? Why, why legendary journalist? Yeah. <laughs> because we got interviewed by Larry King to do five. I think we killed Peter Jennings or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we got interviewed by Larry King, and he's like, okay, your, your next project is this thing called Dude Bro Body Massacre Three. What is this? What is this? We told him what it was. He's like, would you like to be in our movie, Larry? We'd love to kill you. He goes, you know what? I've been in 33 films, and I've never been killed before. I would love that. Raul, give them my information. They're going to kill me in the dude movie. <laughs> and we were playing, like, phone tag for five months, and it got to the point where the, our producers like, we're closing the books, our insurance is done, our SAG stuff is done, we're done. I was like, I really want to get Larry King. Like, sorry, tough titty. And then a week after they closed the books, they're like, Larry can do it on this day for 30 minutes. And we're like, we're doing it. And our producer's like, fuck you. We got it. We paid him $7. Because that's what Every, everyone got paid hourly, and we shot with him for about forty-five minutes. Bruce, Bruce, tell, tell, tell the story of how many takes does Larry King? Do? Larry King does one take. Did he come to the set saying, "I so did he one get, take"? So we went to if, him. I, if I remember uh, the story correctly, he had a Larry, green screen stage on his on his studios. Yeah, he he did one read of it. And he says, "What what's taking you bros so long to shower?" And then uh, and then he gets he gets stabbed, and he says, "Good throw." Yeah. Uh, and we're like, "Okay, uh, Larry, can you can you do one more take, please?" And he goes, "Nope." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, well, let's, uh, let's get a close up. Okay, let's do it. Right. So we just like had to move the camera and he would do it again. Uh, but he did do a couple extra takes when he had the, the spear in his stomach. Uh-huh. We're like, okay, ready to hit you. And he's like, oh, good throw. It's like, okay, let's do one more because it looks weird. It's not right. So when we told him something was wrong, he would do it again. But it was weird. He's like, that was great, Larry. Let's do it again. Nope. <laughs> Were there any setbacks while you were in production on Dude Bro? Uh, oh, bears yeah. and snow. Oh god. <laughs> bears and snow. Go Actual bears. Yeah, yeah. well we shot we shot in Big Bear. Who would have thought there were bears? Yeah. In Big Bear. You know, with our caterer cooking carne asada outside, who yeah. knew that the bears would show up? I have a good bear story actually. Go on. So, Did you hit uh, the bear? So I, I met I met the bear he pawed at me. It was a little baby bear, which is the scariest bear because it implies large angry There's mother a large bear. One nearby, yeah. exactly. A member of five second films who will not be named was very very blackout drunk and was walking from uh, I believe it was a cafeteria to his cabin about a quarter of a mile like through the dark trail, woods yeah. stumbling he barely remembers this and then he got to the cabin and he walked in shortly after that a uh, security person ran and was like guys no one was outside just now were you there's a bear afoot. Gotta watch out for this. I hope no one was outside just now. You could have been killed. And our very drunk friend just kind of looked down for a second and looked up and goes, I love my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, and then one of the other setbacks was it started... 
We were supposed to film in November, but we decided to postpone it because we were worried about snow. <laughs> so we postponed it till April, and it helped for the, the script and everything. It was actually one of the best decisions because we were able to like fine-tune some things. So we're shooting in April, and my death scene, we pushed mine to be the last. If anything went wrong, I'm not going anywhere. It's in the woods, it's nighttime, we can do it anywhere. And we loved him keeping that stupid haircut. Oh, fucking mullet. I had a mullet. I shaved a mullet in my head. <laughs> Grew on me. Just, I kind of liked it. Just keep nah. it. We'll keep having to shoot reshoots. Yeah, me. so I had this mullet. It was fine. So I had it a month longer than I wanted to. But it was cool. Kind of miss it. Maybe I'll go back to it. And it started <laughs> snowing. So we're freaking out. We're like, shit, it's going to snow. And we had my death, which whatever, we could shoot my shit anywhere. And we had Zeke started Mike James's death. Yeah, and it's the, the tree falls on him and he dies. And long story short, if you watch the movie, it's even better. So we had to troubleshoot. And the best part is, like, John, Tom, and I were all editors as well as directors. So we know how to piece together a scene if, we're, if our backs are in a corner. So we figured out that we can shoot all the wide shots because it's in the woods. So we're like, show you're in the woods. And then we can cheat all the close-ups in the cafeteria. And so we, we put black duvetine all over the cafeteria. Our art director, Ian, collected pine cones and brush and all this stuff and set it down. And it was a fake tree that actually falls on it. So we had access to this big trunk. We brought it all in and John lit it to make it look exactly like the fucking moonlighting. And you can't tell the difference. So Mike James' death is shot uh, partly outside, so it's the snow, and then we shot the rest of it in the cafeteria. So our producer, Michael Peter, was like, let's shoot this fucking movie. Every weekend, like, we kind of wrapped our main big production and then kind of had yeah. some, like, smaller, like, we need to pick up Rusalai's death and we need to, like, pick up a close-up of, like, this death and shoot, like, a little kind of pickup scenes here, and Michael Peter was fantastic about it. Just like, we are shooting this next fucking weekend, guys. Yeah. We're doing it. No excuses. Everyone's there. It was Cancel all your but plans. But it was very tempting, for the record, to call Rusley on his way to get his hair cut off, finally, and be like, hey, man, all the footage is corrupt. I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> all right, we're gonna have to do this. For some I, reason, I you're just... <laughs> Focus the whole movie. I just want the movie to be good. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, no huge setbacks really. I think pretty par for the course difficulties for a film of that scale. Oh, you cool. know, the tough one. Low budget horror. There's always yeah. tricky stuff. Yeah, oh. like some makeup effect like didn't work the first time. They're like, well, practical. they're like, oh well, crap. We don't have a backup. Yeah. We're gonna have to shoot that in three or four days right, while we make one. It's like whatever. There was one that that was just tough because it was like a buy the books and you have to keep your actors safe and healthy. Yeah. We needed a lake. Mm -hmm. Our producer said we would save eighty thousand dollars if we didn't if we cut out this joke. And we're like, no, it's the best <laughs> joke. It was a day one writing joke. Oh my god, we're the most stubborn people in the world. They're like, everyone was like, you will have my day rate. I will do this for free. We are keeping this one joke and we need to have a lake. Uh, it was freezing. Uh -huh. I didn't think it was that bad because I went in. I was like, everyone, shut up. We're doing. You know, uh, they had to get the bros had to get in the water, and it was the most important thing to make because our lake joke. And so, so it's April and Big Bear on top of a mountain in a small, it was like tiny 50 little lake, something degrees in the water. Let's say thirty. It was freezing, but it was like fifty. It was fine. <laughs> I went in. I was like, maybe the adrenaline of being like, come on, you pussies, let's do it. And all the dead bodies that are floating up, I had to push down. And the dummies, not humans. Right. The lifeguard and the medic were like, they can only be in the water for five minutes because then the hypothermia will set in. We have to take them out. They put them in the van. The heater's in the van. Keep them warm. After after ten minutes of them in the van and their body core temperature goes back up, you can put them back in the water, which. Sounds a lot worse because you're once you get in the water and you acclimate to the temperature, yeah. then they pull you back out and you have to heat up and like they have to keep going back and forth. So what should have taken like two hours took four hours or five hours. Yeah. It was yeah. insane. I love it. When you watch the movie, you can see Paul Prado is so cold in some of the wide shots. He's just like cowering and like kinda come on in bros, it's crazy. The water is fine. <laughs> yeah. He's also parked often.
you guys have been figuring out workarounds for so long, making five second mm -hmm. films. Were, were you maybe overly confident that like whatever happened? No it, confidence at all. No confidence. <laughs> I mean, in myself, I can't speak. We were, for these guys. We, I mean, uh, no I mean, I looked myself. at like it's like if, if I ever have a problem. I'm worried about something. I got Tom and John, and I'm sure John and Tom were doing the If I have a problem, I got Tom and Ruslan. It's like, if you have a problem, you got Ruslan and John. And we're like, we got each other's back, right? Like, it's like in the trenches. We were all kind of watching each other's back. Yeah. And, and since it was all of 5SF like involved and like had their names on it, everyone kicked ass. Yeah. And like, there was no big huge problem that none of us could yeah. figure out problems. I mean, I think we're all production heads and we're, we're, we're production junkies and we're very used to like, you know, if we need a scene inside of a blimp, we'll find a way to like build a blimp for the exterior and for the interior, we'll use a green screen or we'll figure yeah. something out, right? We'll be resourceful. The thing, the biggest challenge was honestly, if you know that a group is coming out of like making five second films and like machine gun jokes, they're going to be very tempted to come in with a film that's just a row of jokes, just a pop, 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 pop. Mm. That's great for about like a 10 minute adult swim pilot. It's not great for 90 minutes straight. So like working on our structure and the arts and <laughs> like all those things that you often stumble over when you move to a much longer film was I think the actual thing we had to work the hardest on in the writing process. Yeah, the writing process was probably yeah. the most challenging. Challenging yeah. compared like the production. Where production like, where everyone like, was like, I this. can't wait to get on set. Cold, yeah. cold water, whatever. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the writing was the most difficult part. Balancing jokes and story and pacing. And, and we had so much time to do pre-production work. Like John and Tom and I were just constantly storyboarding and shot listing. Yeah, every death and fight scene, anytime mm -hmm. like it wasn't just people talking, it was all storyboarded. Yeah, we had a, we had a big concern that people would be concerned about three directors. Like, are they going to fight? They're going to argue and bicker. And we we're like, no, we're going to be on the same page among the crew. I think that that's what the concern was. Yeah, we didn't want people to be like, oh, look at these guys. They're like, so, they don't know what they want. So everything planned out. Planned to the T, yeah. but if there was a moment where the elements were against us and time was against us and we had to throw out some shots, we do a quick director huddle and we talk for like a couple minutes and then just like go out. Yeah, actually mm -hmm. one of the nights, the uh, one of the last fight scenes uh, between like our protagonist and antagonist, oh. um, we were running a little bit behind, so I was like, well, it doesn't take three of us to do this fight scene. It's choreographed, we know exactly the shots we need. You guys shoot the fight scene. I'm gonna go do close-ups of our big monster characters, clothes ripped thing off because yeah. we, be, we only have him for a little bit. He's Brother gonna, face, yeah. He's gonna yeah. go to Japan like in the morning, so we're gonna lose him for a while. Hmm. Um, he was playing so I was like, all right, I'll do like his close-ups of his face and close-ups of like the shirt ripping off his arms yeah. and like his back and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, I can say with experience that like when you have a one unit crew and they usually split it in half, it's a disaster because the first AC isn't used to like managing without a second AC and stuff. Are you guys gonna do another feature? Soon? I mean, it's... Uh, I wouldn't say soon. The dream is that, yes, we would do another feature. Uh, everyone's writing. Everyone's Collectively, would be wonderful. Mm. Separately, absolutely. I would oh, love yeah. to do another one uh -huh. soon. Yeah, no, we're we'll all... We're all everyone's uh -huh. writing. So everyone's writing something, but uh, right now it's not like... Uh, like, what's the next five-second film project? Because we're so scattered. Like, like half of us don't even live in Los Angeles anymore. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess we're just kind of doing our own thing, and then we'll get the band back together when people mm -hmm. are ready to get back together. I think 5SF has always been and will continue to be a com com comedy resource for us. Mm -hmm. But Dubro was like, if we had to make a movie with all of us all at once and include everybody, oh, yeah. how would we do it? And mm -hmm. this is the answer. Yeah. What do you think is the most valuable thing you learned while making Dude Bro? As far as how you'll approach the next big one differently? Break rules. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
it's just ask for forgiveness. Like we followed a bunch of rules and I was like, man, we could have gotten away with like yeah, breaking yeah, that yeah. one or two rules right there. Yeah. Break yeah. rules. Like your first film, just break a bunch of rules. Well, yeah, I mean, well, I mean like, it's like don't use copyrighted music or something oh. stupid like that, but it's like mm-hmm. shoot at a location you might not have a permit for. Yeah. If you don't get caught, great. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> who cares? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you keep your actors safe, mm-hmm. but yeah, break, yeah, break the rules. Yeah. yeah. If you can, save money to use that money for other things. Mine would be uh, the second you get in the edit, throw away the script. You may have a lot of expectations and things you're very married to. Yeah, kill your babies. It kind of only hurts you to carry those with you. You have to look at the film you have in front of you and be like, what do we have here and what actually worked and what mm-hmm. didn't? And be willing to say goodbye to the things that didn't work. And also, like, it's like, well, can we fix this with just a single shot that we can pick up? Or do we have to retool everything? It's not yeah. like, oh, we're going to reshoot this whole thing. It's like, no. You're going to shoot one insert if that's what you need to work. But don't... The- yeah, there was a turning point in the edit process where we initiated something called the brutal cut, the brutal cut, where all we would do is in Premiere we would make a duplicate sequence and say like we can always go back, we can always go back. <laughs> but what if we took this scene out? It's like oh no, I don't want to lose it, but uh, let's just see if we took it out and does it still work? Yeah. Uh, biggest lesson ever that I'm going to use for writing, for editing, for the rest of my filming career was get into a scene as late as possible and get out of it as early as possible. Yeah. Right. Meaning don't spend a lot of fat at the beginning of a scene. Mm-hmm. What is the is the latest moment you could possibly start this scene. Mm-hmm. That helps in writing and with editing. My advice, which I learned from directing and blocking, is listen to your actors because they have good instincts about where they want to move and what, how, what would feel natural. The actors are all focused on their character so they know what they what their instincts would be and that character's instincts. So I'd listen to your actors. Yeah, that's a really that's really good advice for first-time directors too. If anybody out there is trying to make their own thing, is it's very tempting when you start out to be like, I have this vision and there's a way that I want it. And you have to the hardest thing is you have to look at that monitor or see a performance and be like, that's very different from what I was expecting. And it's maybe better. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You have to recognize when people give you these gifts. Otherwise, you should be in animation and you should draw your own stuff because, like, film is a collaborative thing and often people give you better stuff than what you have in your head. Mm-hmm. And no more than four takes. Like, <clears throat> yeah, come on, guys. I beg to differ. It depends on the movie. It, it's not, okay, look, if it's not working, something's horribly wrong, like, up and up, dumb. <laughs> yeah, but if, if the first three takes got big laughs, like, you move on. Move on. What do you think the future of online video is? What do you think filmmakers should be doing to explore like digital space? Staying out of our neighborhood, I'll yeah. tell you what. Yeah, <laughs> get out of here, kill you. I would say just film, get out there, film, make mistakes. Yeah. Put it up there, let people critique it, tear you down, have thick skin. Yeah, comments you know, comments are gonna be great or they're gonna be terrible. They're most likely it's, gonna be terrible. Comments. You guys read your comments? Oh yeah, I do. I barely ever. I do. I can't uh, even I almost never. I have a thick skin, so I, I've read them I've read the worst and I've read the best. So yeah. like that's the sweetest thing ever. Oh my god, that guy's a monster. Yeah, I don't know what the future of internet filmmaking is, but if you want to make movies, find your film family. Like yeah, these guys yeah. are my film family. Like, and you guys will feed off each other and nurse each other and help each other out. Yeah. When when and, Pat and Oswald came and those are the comments that you need to read yeah like read your friends comments who cares about what anonymous people say yeah. the one i remember when Patton first came over he said something to the effect of like you know it can be really hard on sets and people get checked out you know when you're just collecting a paycheck or you're just like why am i even on this job but you guys are doing this for free when we were just shooting five second films and it's it's inspiring when we came out of college and we were all just mm-hmm. doing like crappy pa jobs little odds and ends and it was really nice when like you'd come to this thing that you were purely going out of the love of it to keep that passion alive when 
I know so many people who like get butt to their late 20s and they're just, they, they think of it just as a job. They've lost that. Whatever inner child made them want to become a filmmaker. You don't get good at anything without practicing it, whether it's basketball or filmmaking. And something like a digital space, whether you're posting vines or you're doing YouTube videos, whatever, doing that regularly is very important. Podcasting for you guys, doing that often. Mm-hmm. Nobody is Spielberg on their first go out. Spielberg mm-hmm. spent all of his teens shooting short films with his friends. That's how he was they able to make Jaws teens. at 23. Yeah, yeah. yeah you got to practice. And digital space to me is an amazing place to practice because you get feedback and response. If it's fun enough, it helps you get a group of friends who want to do it with you. Well, we just kept doing five second films because we thought it was fun. Nobody was watching our you, we didn't even have, we were for three talking. months. It was so we dead. weren't even on YouTube. Dead. We had yeah. our own. It was fivesecondfilms.com. Yep. And yeah, no one was watching other than a couple of our friends, and then eventually and some Russians. Oh yeah, that was weird. Yeah, it, it's not like we were doing one thing right. We were doing it because we liked it, and it was fun to us. And then we yes. found people that like hmm. connected to it. Is that why it stayed fresh for so long for you guys? Because you enjoyed. Oh yeah. Doing it, so it was it was unique. No one else was doing it, and basically it was just an exercise that kept us sharp. Oh yeah, like as a camera guy and lighting, it was just fun to just be like, I'm gonna try putting the lights over here and doing this, or I'm gonna throw blue all over this scene. Just gotta play around. And I learned more from five second films uh, as a filmmaker than I did at USC. Because we just worked, we just did it. Yeah. Every day. Yeah, the biggest lesson for me if I was seeing films was just economy of information, just how to convey something really, really quickly. Hmm. You know, make someone understand that this person's in trouble or they're about to get shot or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And Three. I use that all the time yeah. as a cinematographer, like these little lessons of how do you, with a frame, tell someone what's going on. Here's producer Renee Amador with a question. I'm interested to know what was it at the beginning of Five Second Films that inspired you to do this? For me, it was of necessity to get my jokes out there because, um, do I even have it on me? Oh, pot people can't even see it. It's a little little book and I would carry it around and I had all these dumb jokes, dumb gags that I would just write down and put away. I was like, I'll put them in a script somewhere. And then Five Second Films was just a way to actually take all these weird jokes I had and give an outlet to me. I did it out of necessity because I had all these, I didn't have any other places for my jokes. Mine's kind of the same as the immediacy is, uh, I just kind of came over and was hanging out and just kind of trying to get my foot in the door. And then I think it was Professor Von Spider, the five second oh, film. Oh, Dr. Von Spider. It's uh, Brian was filming it and he was like, no, shut up everybody. It's gonna be funny. Just trust me, I'll film on my own. And he shot it. And then that was on a Sunday. And then it was on the internet, like on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And it had like 20,000 views already. And I was you like, could see what people thought of it too. I was like, oh my God, like I have had tons of friends that we make a short. It just takes them months to cut it together. It's like, it's a short film, dude. It shouldn't take you any more than like two weeks to cut a short film. Mm-hmm. I don't care how freaking dramatic, how horrifying, cut a short film really quick. So I was like, found these people that did it really quickly <laughs> and like had to. Like the promise of five a week was like, you have to do this. You would die. Yeah, I follow up on that, that in LA, there's a lot of, there's, anyone who's worked on here for a few, a few years knows there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of like, here's the thing I want to be doing at a party, or here's the screenplay I'm working on. There's plenty of words being thrown around. A lot of, a lot of people who are just like, I'm just going to take a camera out tomorrow and shoot this thing. Fuck it, you know? Ooh, yeah. Who are just going to make it happen. Uh, who are setting a date on June 13th, we're starting to shoot, you know? And it's really refreshing when you see that, and 5SF, you know, made things that were just ideas material very quickly. The other thing for me, the reason I was part of IOSF, honestly, was uh, these are just my friends. Like, I never came over really because I wanted to ever make money or see it turn into something. I never really did because I thought it would be a means to an end. I thought you guys would be rich. 
I, I had other means. It was, uh, I always had other plans for my career. It was more just, I like hanging out with these people. And I always dreamed as a kid of having filmmaker friends where I could be like, hey, Tom, like, do you think if we did it on this lens, it would feel this way? And he'd be like, no, no, try it like that. And we could have that dialogue about this art form we both love, and we could have that every week. So it was awesome. What's inspiring you now? I'm kind of personally burnt out on uh, running the internet rat race because I felt like I've done it and I, I just want to explore something new so I'm really focusing on feature length and writing things that are a little bit more out of my comfort zone mm -hmm. so uh, I don't know I'm just kind of just just writing just writing longer stuff yeah though the internet has destroyed me because yeah, for seven years eight years I don't know how long we did it like five second films and then we did uprock sketches so we did five five second films a week then we did like an uprock sketch which is two minutes three minutes every other week and then we did the feature and it was just like i was just like fried i can't do the internet anymore because the pace is so demanding you, you have to commit you have to feed it you have to feed and it the forgets so quickly, yeah. and it forgets and you have to like if you're going to make something online you have to be consistent and it's like I'd rather be consistent with my writing, and you know, which could be like two months for a script or something, or three mm -hmm. months, uh, as opposed to like every day or every week I got to do this because it's just like I'm f I'm fried, I'm old. What inspires you, Tom? Oh, lots of things inspire me. Um, but I guess I've been laid up for like three months with a broken ankle. Oh, you're uh, trying to get your foot in that door, dude. I, I told you trying to get my foot in the Hollywood door, and they broke it. Uh, so I've just been kind of laying around painting and drawing more. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, getting and then getting some money to actually paint and draw and create props and I did some stuff for Rocket Jump where I made a miniature like village. Oh, that was so cool. Uh, with a bar really at the top cool. of a hill. Um, skills you acquired from Dude Bro. Yeah, so just like <laughs> they saw Dude Bro and they're like, hey, can you make me a small village? I was like, yeah, I can. Um, so yeah, doing more stuff like that, like tired of being a grip and kind of a grunt. I love it. I will never want to ever not be on set because being on set is like the best place. Mm -hmm. Such an adrenaline rush. Um, but I really enjoy art and fine arts more now. I'm, I'm really kind of inspired by what's going on with all the on-demand stuff like Amazon and Netflix and, and the sort of new possibilities that it made for young filmmakers and just the influx of money. Uh, I think like uh, you know, like there's more high risk investment happening in those in those arenas right now, and people you know willing to try making things like Stranger Things and uh, and all these other you know uh, just crazy experimental shows. For the longest time, everyone was talking about like what what this transition between television and the internet, and you know this transition between TV and digital, and how we absorb media. When is it going to what is it going to settle on? What is it ultimately going to be? That's still been the question for the longest time, and I think I'm slowly starting to realize that the pace the internet works at, it's always going to be. Changing. Changing. From now on, I think it's always going to be shifting. There's going to be new paradigms opening up. But that's a really good environment for film because when there's change, there's like in the 90s, and when films get cheaper to make, then you get a lot more creativity flowing in. You know what I mean? So, yeah, the voices, the, the, the spectrum of voices that can be heard. Because like now you can pick up an iPhone and you can film something, or you can get like a, a little dinky HD camera and shoot something. And a lot of computers come with editing software now. And so it opens up the, the field that, you know, someone can shoot a whole movie on an iPhone. Yeah, as long as the story's there, who cares what yeah. to shoot it on? Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just about characters and stories. Like, I want to see something that I wouldn't be able to see looking out my window. Here we have Renee again. Okay, so somebody out there might be listening and thinking, hey, I'm going to do this five-second film, so I'm going to make a YouTube channel. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to make a 1,300 videos. What advice do you have for that person? First, don't do it. And then secondly, if you're still here, fucking do it. 
like go all out, but realize there's no cinnamon kisses. There's no golden rainbows. Like it's like, it's, it's hard. You have to keep doing it because you like doing it. Because if you take criticism, if you don't take criticism well and rejection, you're not gonna do well. You just have to be rejected over and over again and say, fuck you, I'm still doing this. You do it because you like it and you do it because this is all you wanna do. I think with any young filmmaker, I would definitely say, make a promise to yourself and keep it. Ryan promised himself someone, I'm going to post five of these every week, and then everyone kind of gathered around it. That means like, not only if you want to just make YouTube videos or Vines or whatever it is now, at this point, Snapchat stories, like, or Instagram stories. Snapchat. It's like, if you want to make a feature, if you have a feature you want to make, and you know you can make it for this amount of money, set yourself a date. Literally say, this year, uh, in April, we're gonna make this film. Yeah. But the most important, like, your will and your desire to make this thing, everyone will gather around you, but you have to be committed to it. You can't be waiting for somebody to give you a green light. And, and to piggyback on what John was saying, like, commit, have a goal. But remember, just because, like, my goal is to make a movie this year, you gotta break those goals down. But, like, my goal is to write a script by this date, or like five yeah. pages a day. Once I got the script, my next goal is I'm going to acquire a crew and a producer, a line producer, someone who I like to work with. Right? The next goal is I'm gonna try to find out if I can get money. Like, and yeah. then the next goal is I gotta find actors and like, it's it's not like I'm gonna make a movie this year. It's you gotta take these baby steps. And Break down problems into small problems. Yes, exactly. Yeah. If you want to make movies, just do it. And remember that you usually <laughs> suck at most things you do for the first time. Like you're yeah. like the first movie's gonna suck, and people might look at it and say that sucked. You got to look at what went wrong and then work on it again. You you didn't think of making movies like you do riding a bike. You didn't get on the bike and just start whipping down hills and stuff. Like it took some falling, some stumbling. That's why I say like have a race thing where weekly you're making something you know because mm -hmm. that's the worst thing when a young director gets a feature for the first time and they just bungle it up because they don't have a lot of experience yeah. making movies. Yeah, so the, the deadlines that were set for 5SF were very crucial. A yeah. lot of friends that like tried to do web series and like they last like three weeks and then no one wants to meet up anymore and yeah. film well, something on a Saturday or something. It helped that there was a, a bunch of us. There that's, was like, that's there awesome. was like out of the 12 of us, six or seven of us were hardcore production people that could shoot and edit. So, yeah. as long as, like, out of those six, one, at least one person showed up, like, something would get shot and cut. Um, so it helps, like Tom was saying, and I've been trumpeting that belief too, is, like, find your filmmaking family. Find that find that buddy of yours you love hanging out with that, that is a cameraman, they love camera. Find that writer that loves writing, that actor that loves acting, and like, just find those people who are like, we're gonna hang out, we're gonna do this. Just fucking do it. And like, learn how to set a C-stand. Uh, <laughs> God damn it, people. If you want to be a filmmaker, learn how to set a C-stand. Even if you're an actor, producer, screenwriter, whatever. Just set a C-stand. I'm going to make you just pick, set one. I'm going to make you pick it up and move it, yeah. yeah. And just, just for you listeners, I would say your family can be one person. It could be you could, it could be like one other person who inspires you or something like that. Because I know a lot of people yeah, Brian who have just found a collaborator. Oh yeah, exactly. Like, like, they found that. I don't want to tell you you have to find a massive group of friends, and that's the only way this is going to yeah. work. Find somebody else who just you can rattle with, and, and yeah. go for it. I, I guess in principle, it's just hanging out with people that are positive and have the same goals and dreams as you do. Yeah, because they tend to keep their promises. Yeah. yeah. We're gonna wind things down a bit. We're going to do the lightning round. There are no wrong answers, only fast answers. So, first thing comes into your head, okay? Tree. Okay. <laughs> Favorite 80s slasher? Oh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Fairy 13, Perk 5. 
Five? Yeah, like Batman. Five. Wow. Uh, New Beginning. Wow. Oh, I gotta watch that again. Friday the 13th, part three. 3D one, not right. Uh, favorite Starship Captain. Oh, fucking Picard. 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 Multi ball. What's your catchphrase? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> cool beans, maybe. I say cool beans a lot. Uh, a little to the left. <laughs> <laughs> That's to his crew and girls. <laughs> What's the craziest thing you've ever done for a shot? Oh, so many. Oh, uh, shit. One is climbing in sewage in the river runoff to do this alligator shot. Yeah. I was in sewage doing operating this thing. Uh, the other one was... Uh, oh, God. It's dedication, right? Oh, so <laughs> gross. The other one was pulling intestines, the pig intestines out of the toilet. That, that was, was a rough disgusting. one. Thing. That was Yeah, Dubro, we used real pig intestines for some intestines, <laughs> and that was a really That was gross. Because we had to flush it, and the intestines, we had to get the shot, the intestines going in the toilet. So we flushed it, and the intestines actually just, like, raced into the toilet. So I had to rush in, grab the intestines, <laughs> and pull them out slowly. And, <laughs> and they were held together with safety pins. Oh, it was a re- so It was like gross. a hot day. In a small oh, bathroom. It's like formaldehyde. It was a so rough day. Gross. I'm actually kind of getting a little choked up oh, thinking about it. And also, oh. and also the, the head explosion was very uncomfortable because <laughs> the, the head explosion wasn't working and I was using my left hand to reset it because if something blew up, I'd still have <laughs> my right hand. That was not cool. We pulled off a couple shots like by the LA River, or not the LA River, by the train track where we shouldn't have been. Like 3 a.m. in the back of like warehouses. It wasn't for my shot, but um, the director gave these actors there's a gun with a live blank in it and didn't tell him. Oh God. And like we were in like a tunnel of the sixth streets, like to go to the sixth street underneath the sixth street bridge. We were like in a small tunnel and that gun went off. Oh my God. And it was ear shattering. That was probably the craziest fucking thing Don't I've ever seen. Don't fucking work with that guy ever again. It was, it was nuts. Jesus. It was like, and it went off right by an actor's ear. That's in not small cool. t- like, That was probably the craziest experience I've had. Like I was like, that was, that was shitty. I was doing a documentary and I was trapped in an interrogation room in West Africa and I rolled a GoPro to try to catch the dialogue. <laughs> oh, probably the craziest oh, thing. I was in China and this big, huge Japanese metal band, the lead singer, went to a Hello Kitty exhibit and the fans broke down the barriers and like swept me away with them. And like I got separated from the crew and I wound up like 50 yards back in this Holy sea shit. of girls just <laughs> going nuts. And I had my camera up above my head and I was just like, like a I was like waving to my friend Mike James, who's also a 5SF member. He was in China there that with me. That sounds like a dream. You were swept away by a No, it was terrifying. And then eventually like one of the security guards spotted me and like kind of pushed his way through, grabbed me by like my backpack and kind of pushed Like me you were through. a kitten. And then we went down the staircase and there were just, like banging on the doors like Night of the Living Dead like sticking their hands through and like people had their backs up against it and there's like all these girls just going freaking nuts for this guy that was one of the scariest things I've ever experienced (laughs) in my entire life his name is Yoshiki from X Japan is this a lightning round? Sorry, that was long. I hadn't thought about that experience in a long time. I have that footage. I should go back and look at it. <laughs> All right, here's, here's the last one. 
As I was going to St. Ives, I met a man with seven wives. Every wife had seven sacks. Every sack had seven cats. Every cat had seven kittens. Kittens, cats, sacks, wives. How many are going to St. Ives? The answer is Samuel Jackson. I was going to say Bruce Willis, but Sammy J is going to make it before him. It's a guy. Die hard reference. Where can we find more information about you guys? You can find more information if you follow us on at 5SF on Twitter or if you go to our Facebook fan page, 5 Second Films. But mainly, the big important news is about Dude Bro Party Massacre 3.com. You go there, you can find out future screenings, you can get a digital download, you can order uh, t shirts and uh, DVDs and Blu rays, or a VHS tape. Tom and I did some custom VHS tape art for the movies. Yeah, you can buy a VHS tape from us if yeah. you want. Tom and I will make it. We got a screening in New York for a week on October 21st through the whole 21st week. 21st through the 27th. Yeah, in New York at the Cinema Village. And we're going to be. And we'll be there. We'll be there. We'll be in New York. And uh, on US and uh, November 4th at USC. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we'll be there too. Yeah. You can find all our screenings online. And we're in Colorado and shit. Mm-hmm. We're going to be all around the place. Yeah. You can find me on Instagram and like my dog photos. Paper Tom. <laughs> Two <laughs> M's, right? Two M's, yeah. You was only a paper yeah. Tom. You know, a lot, of dog, <laughs> a lot of dog photos, a lot of broken ankle photos. <laughs> broken dog. Just like them all. <laughs> like them all. Oh, thanks for having us. Sorry we derailed <laughs> everything. <laughs> we do that. That's We do that. That's the brand. That's the brand. <laughs> Five us up, derailing everything. That was Michael Rousselet, Tom Jacobson, and John Salmon, the filmmakers behind Dude Bro Party Massacre 3. Next episode, I'll be speaking with an incredibly funny and talented writer-actress. She's a veteran improv and stand-up comic. In 2012, a film she wrote, Smashed, won a special jury prize at Sundance. And earlier this year, audiences saw her in a segment she wrote for the horror anthology, Southbound. Join us next time as I speak with Susan Burke about writing, craft, and why maybe comedians make the best horror actors. At the Point of a Knife was created and hosted by me, Eric Navaretti, and produced by Renee Amador. Logo and title design by Jonathan B. Perez. For more of his work, check out jonathanbperez.com. At the Point of a Knife is an Automaton Creative production. For more of our work, visit our new site, automatoncreative.com. For more episodes, be sure to subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.